Let me begin by asking you a question. If you were to see a freeway ramp sign that said, Do not enter. Would you resent it? Or would you appreciate it? Well, obviously, if you're trying to find your way onto the freeway and you weren't sure whether the ramp was an on-ramp or an off-ramp, you would appreciate that somebody thought to put a sign up there that said, this is not it. (laughs) I mean, that, that warning sign is your friend. It's there for your protection. It literally could save your life. You would appreciate and obey that warning sign wholeheartedly. Now let me ask you another question. If you were to read a verse in the Bible that says, you shall not, would you resent it? Or would you appreciate it? Get my point? These timeless principles that we've been studying together here in Exodus 20 are not the ten suggestions. (laughs) No, they are the ten commandments. And as we're trying to navigate our way through life, God gave us these commands to help us find our way. They are here literally for our protection. They could save our very lives. And so we should appreciate and obey each of these timeless warning signs wholeheartedly. Especially this one we're going to talk about today. Roman numeral number 10. How God's people live. Today's focus is on the seventh of the Ten Commandments here in Exodus 20 and verse 14. Follow along in your Bible as I read today's text. Exodus 20 We pick up God's words written by the very finger of God Himself. Verse 14, You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. A recent survey of readers by Reader's Digest suggests that over 60% of husbands and 35% of wives in our country secretly admit to committing adultery. And what's even more disturbing than that is that over 70% of all of those surveyed admitted that they would have an affair, quote, if I thought I could get away with it, end quote. In addition to literal adultery, there are many others who struggle with all kinds of sexual sin. And chances are, you may be wrestling with issues of sexual Impurity this morning. None of us is too old. None of us is immune from this commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Let's take a closer look at this boundary together. Technically, there are just two Hebrew words here in Exodus 20 verse 14, literally translated, no Adultery, that's it. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's pretty clear. No adultery. Now, adultery in its narrowest sense is sexual relations between a married man and woman and someone other than his or her spouse. We call it an affair, a fling, 
unfaithfulness, infidelity. We have a host of other names that don't sound quite as bad as what it is. Adultery. Jesus, however, expands this narrow definition of adultery in Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. Let's read these verses out loud together. Would you read them with me? You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, Jesus reminds us here that adultery is a matter of the heart. And it includes any and all sexual behavior outside the intended context of a husband and a wife in marriage. Therefore, in its broadest sense, adultery includes a lot of things. It is, of course, a physical affair, extramarital intimacy. But it is also an emotional affair, what I call extramarital dependency. It is lust, sexual fantasies, imaginations, masturbation. It is pornography. It's a huge one today. Stories or images in books and magazines and television, movies, videos, the internet. Premarital sex. Heavy kissing, petting, fondling, oral sex among adolescents or singles. Cohabitation. Unmarried adults living together. Homosexuality. Any and all gay or lesbian activities. And then I would just use the word lewdness to include any and all sexual activity that I just failed to mention. (laughs) Everything that is a perversion of God's pure plan of sex within the context of marriage. Now, with this broader all-inclusive definition in mind then, it seems the principle behind this command, you shall not commit adultery, is pretty clear. This seventh commandment is simply this, maintaining sexual purity. This commandment is all about maintaining sexual purity. Now please understand, God has created us as sexual beings. He's not anti-sex. On the contrary, He's created us with a sex drive. He's designed us to enjoy sexual intimacy. However, He's also defined the boundaries in which our sexual pleasure is to be expressed, and that is marriage. Any expression of sexual pleasure other than between a husband and a wife is sin. And God gave us this command, you shall not commit adultery, as a warning sign. It's that sign on the freeway we talked about a moment ago. Do not enter. It's there for our protection. And to ignore this boundary is only going to bring us grief and pain. And again, this timeless principle is maintaining sexual purity. Let me make two quick observations about adultery or sexual impurity. First of all, let's talk for a moment about the curse of sexual impurity. Look carefully with me at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18-20. through Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, what's the Apostle Paul saying here? He's reminding us that there is a spiritual dimension to sexual impurity that sets it apart from any and all other sins. 
Now, time doesn't allow me to go into a long explanation of this. Let me just sum it up this way. Sex is not just a physical act. Sex is not just a physical act. When a man and a woman share sexual intimacy, they become, the Bible says, one flesh. The two become one. And this union is not only in body, but it is also in spirit. There's no such thing as casual sex. Doesn't exist. That totally ignores the spiritual dimension. That's why sexual impurity, by the way, is one of the most addictive sins to overcome. To take it even a step further, when a Christian commits adultery, sexual impurity of any kind, he or she also involves the Lord in that sin. Since his or her body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, we just read that a moment ago, sexual immorality defiles not only the body physically, but also the Lord spiritually. When a Christ follower who is the bride of Christ sins sexually, he or she is actually committing adultery against the coming bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Whoa. In other words, adultery, sexual impurity, is not to be treated lightly or nonchalantly. The curse of the sin is much deeper than it may appear at first glance. Which leads me to my second observation, and that is the course of sexual impurity. What are the steps that lead us into adultery? Or what are the steps that lead us into sexual sin? I've listed them there in your notes, so I'm just going to highlight them real briefly. You can study them further on your own later. It all begins, number one, I think, with sinful thoughts and fantasies. That's where, usually where it always begins is in the mind. The imagination, our thought life. Secondly, then, it becomes an emotional, non-physical involvement. Secret thoughts and feelings, perhaps sharing intimate conversation with somebody other than your spouse, maybe some sexual innuendos that are exchanged, and there becomes an unhealthy dependency where you're transferring your attention and your energy from your spouse to someone else or to something else, like an internet chat room. Making phone calls, texting, back and forth. Usually, by the way, that happens with deception. Can I say that? It usually happens and you cover it up because you don't want other people to know. Then thirdly, that leads to physical involvement. Sometimes that begins with just an innocent touch or a hug. Over time can progressively lead to a sexual act. Then comes entrapment or addiction. The involvement grows deeper and more frequent despite attempts to quit. I'm going to stop this. I'm going to quit. I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah, right. You're trapped. And like I said, that addiction is stronger than any other addiction. Even drugs and alcohol. And then fifth comes rationalization. Rationalization just simply means you begin to delude yourself into thinking that what you're doing is okay. You justify it. You rationalize it. And then if anybody brings it up or points it out, guess what? You get defensive. Not me. You're just seeing it wrong. Man, I wish I could elaborate more, but that's the course 
of sexual impurity in a nutshell. Which leads us then to draw some conclusions. Once again, Exodus 20 verse 14 tells us you shall not commit Adultery. So how can we apply this timeless principle to our lives today? How exactly can we be sure to maintain sexual purity in our lives? Well, here's the approach I'd like to take today. Based upon the seventh commandment, I'd like to draw some conclusions related specifically to marriage. I'd like to answer the question, how can I affair-proof my marriage? Now, of course, I realize there are some who are not married here today. Well, don't tune me out. (laughs) Because I believe that if you listen carefully, you'll find that these principles and truths that we're going to talk about here apply to all of us in one way or another. Young or old, married or single, male or female. So listen up. This is God's truth on the matter. So, how can I affair-proof my marriage? Let me suggest six biblically-based steps for us to follow. Step number one, we need to model God's standards. We need to model... To live out God's standards. That's what counts. Look at Psalm 119 and verse 9. How can a person keep his or her way pure? By living according to his or her culture. Is that what it says? No, it says by living according to popular opinion. Is that what it says? No. What's it say? Let's read the whole verse out loud together. Would you read it with me? How can a person keep his or her way pure? By living according to your Word. Whose Word? God's Word. Friend, this is the first step. We must make an uncompromising commitment to God's standards for sexual purity as they are outlined in His Word, the Bible. And then, I believe that we ought to unashamedly announce our commitment to those around us, our family and our friends. I mean, in essence, you should say to everybody, I'm not available. (laughs) I'm not available. Now, that's done in a variety of ways, I suppose. A few of them came to my mind this week. One of them that I use oftentimes with, with especially men who are struggling with Pornography, by the way, can I just share with you real quick? Pornography is not just a male issue anymore. Do we understand that? That the fastest growing pornography audience is women. Young women especially, between the ages of 14 and 25. Now having said that to men, because I counsel men on this subject, (laughs) obviously, I will tell them, have you registered with triplexchurch.com? And they'll look at me like, what? Yeah, there's actually a place on the internet called triplexchurch.com. You know what they're going to help you with? They're going to help you with your addiction to pornography. How? Because one of the things that they do is you register with them and then you choose an accountability partner. It might be your pastor, it might be your spouse, it might be your counselor. Or a good friend as an accountability partner. And if you ever go searching on the internet on any of your devices, it sends an email to that friend, that accountability partner. Ah. 
You know what? It works. I know a lot of gals that are wearing purity rings. I think it's a great idea. I'm going to keep myself for my husband when I get married. I'm going to remain sexually pure. And by the way, you may not have been sexually pure earlier in your life, but you can still put that ring on because you can say from this moment on, I'm going to do what God wants me to do and model His standards. that makes sense? Of course, the wedding ring ought to mean something, right? It's a symbol of our commitment of fidelity and faithfulness. All those I just mentioned because they're public symbols of our commitment to model God's standards for sexual purity. Proverbs 5, verses 15-19 through 19 tells us you should be faithful to your wife. Save yourself for your wife. Don't have sex with other women. Be happy with the wife you married. You should be attracted to her and stay deeply in love. Now, not only for wife, that's also for husband. We understand that, right? <laughs> This is God's standard that we should follow without compromise. So how can I affair-proof my marriage first, make a commitment to model God's standards? Not what the world thinks. It's what God thinks. Step number two. We need to magnify sin's consequences. Magnify sin's consequences. The consequences of adultery are devastating. Proverbs chapter 6. Making love to another man's wife will cost you what? Everything. Everything. If you go to bed with another man's wife, you pay the price. You will. Proverbs 6 verse 32. The one who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys his own soul. (laughs) Yes, he does. And as we discovered earlier, the curse of sexual impurity is greater than any other sin. I mean, don't kid yourself. This sin does not just affect you. It affects many others. Your spouse, your children, your other relatives, your friends, your work associates, even your church. The price is way too high. The cost is much too great. Whatever you think may be the worst possible thing that could possibly happen by you committing sexual sin, I will tell you right now, the consequences are are greater than what you could imagine. Man, I wish I could say more about that. How do I affair-proof my marriage? Second, by getting my head out of the sand and magnifying sin's consequences. Step number three, monitor your mind. Monitor your mind. Where do most affairs, in fact, any sexual impurity begin? Again, I said it earlier, right here. The mind. The thought life. The imagination, the fantasies. Again, Jesus put it this way, Matthew 5 and verse 28, if anyone looks at a man or woman and wants to sin sexually with him or her, that person has already committed sexual sin in his or her mind. Don't miss those words. In his or her mind. That's where it begins. James 1 verses 14 and 15 explains it like this. Temptation is the pull of a person's own evil thoughts and wishes. These evil thoughts lead to evil actions and afterwards... Death. Hear me on this. Most sexual impurity could be stopped if we would take seriously this step right here. Monitor your mind. One of the greatest areas of concern in today's world is pornography. Just consider some of these statistics. Watch this.
I like that last scripture there. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, how do we do that? How do we take into captivity every thought to bring it to obedience to Jesus Christ? Well, read 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22 out loud with me. Would you read this out loud? Turn your back on lustful desires and give your positive attention to righteousness. Did you catch what he was saying there? Two things need to take place simultaneously as we monitor our minds. First of all, there must be a turning from unrighteousness. Paul says, turn your back on lustful desires. And then at the same time, there must be a turning to righteousness. Give your positive attention to righteousness. So let me just ask you this morning, what are you feeding your mind? What are you feeding your mind? You know what? Unrighteousness doesn't have to be sought. Hear me on this. Your mind is being bombarded with unrighteousness every single day of your life. TV, books, magazines, movies, songs, the internet, and so on. And these things attack God's standards for sexual purity. And believe me, if you're listening to them, if you're watching them, if you're feeding your mind with them, it will take its toll. So what do you do? You're going to have to bring the balance in the favor of righteousness. Does that make sense? You're going to have to pour more righteousness into your mind than the unrighteousness that you're going to see and experience every day. So how's the balance in your life? Whoa. means you're going to have to spend some time in the Word. means it's going to have, you're going to have to spend some time in worship means you're going to have to spend some time in prayer. means you're going to have to spend some time in partnership with some other believers who are trying to walk this same path that you are trying to walk. There has to be more righteousness going into your mind than unrighteousness if you're going to win this battle. So how can I fair-proof my marriage third? I need to prayerfully and carefully monitor my mind. Step number four, I need to minimize the opportunity. Minimize the opportunity. Immediately after Jesus warned us about looking lustfully and committing sexual impurity in our hearts, look at what He said, Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, did Jesus literally mean that we should overcome temptation by gouging? gouging out our eyes and cutting off our hands. No, of course not. But you know what? Sometimes we quickly say that. No, of course not. And we throw out what Jesus said here. Don't do that. Stop and think for a minute about this. Don't miss this point. When it comes to temptation, especially the temptation to sexual impurity, we had better be ready to take radical measures to minimize the opportunities. Friend, it is better to go overboard than to fall overboard. Our attitude must be whatever it takes. And that means drastic measures sometimes. 
You can't stay away from those satellite movies and get rid of your satellite, get rid of your TV if you have to. He can't stay away from the internet porn sites and get rid of everything that connects to the internet that you have. Get rid of it. I'm serious. You got to do whatever it takes. I had a guy one time who was having a real hard time staying away from this lady at work. So what did I tell him? Quit your job and move. <laughs> Quick. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about here. It takes radical measures. So, how can I affair-proof my marriage? Fourth, by doing anything and everything possible to minimize the opportunity. Step number five, maintain proper relationships. We've got to maintain proper relationships. Here's something that we must understand. Most affairs occur between close personal friends, family members, or co-workers. Did you know that? In other words, the framework for adultery is usually within our existing circles of acquaintances. And this is why we must, we simply must maintain proper relationships at all times. Let's read Ephesians 5 verse 3. Let's read it out loud together. Would you read it with me? Among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. That's such a great scripture. Not even a hint. And if there is a hint... Then confront it and deal with it immediately and decisively. And if the hit persists, then we need to break off the relationship completely. I mean, the bottom line is this. Don't even maintain contact with the other person if there's a hint of anything that is inappropriate in any way. Now, I've given you a list of a few things to avoid. Things that are simply improper in a relationship between a man and a woman. I'm not going to dwell on these, but let me read through them real quick. Avoid telling your marriage problems to someone of the opposite sex. Hello? Avoid fishing for compliments from those of the opposite sex, like dressing to impress or performing to please. Avoid any inappropriate comments to those of the opposite sex, like watch out for those compliments. Don't be sharing private matters that you shouldn't be sharing except with your spouse. Any innuendos, watch those. Shouldn't be any. Avoid a sense of electricity with someone of the opposite sex. You know what I mean by that, right? I don't have to teach you a sex education course, do I? I mean, if there's electricity, then flee! I mean, get out of there! Avoid a second look or a prolonged stare flirting with the opposite sex. Avoid any kind of lingering touch with the opposite sex. A hug, a hand on the shoulder. They're just not appropriate. Most of all, avoid being alone with someone of the opposite sex. (laughs) And if that's unavoidable, then you've got to take extra precautions somehow. By the way, if you have any doubt about what's inappropriate, ask your spouse. (laughs) Hmm? Ask your spouse, and if your spouse says something and you don't agree with it, tough. <laughs> you got to do what your spouse says in this case. Trust me on this one. I got to say a word here, just from my heart for a moment. I'll have people come to me all the time as a pastor, and they'll say, "Well, how, how do you deal?" Um, how do you deal with sexual sin when it's present in the body? 
in the in the congregation. You know what's out there. How do you deal with it? And, and here's my answer to that. You love them. You love them. That's the first thing you do. Isn't that what Jesus did? Yeah. Radically, unconditionally, you love them. And here's my philosophy, my approach. I believe you love them and you love them and you love them and you teach them the truths of God's Word. And then you allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in their heart. You hear what I'm saying? That, that's the approach that, that I take. That's the approach I want us to have here in this congregation. We're not a congregation that's going to point fingers and condemn people. People have enough condemnation in their life. They need conviction. Conviction is way different than condemnation. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit will convict. And while the Holy Spirit's doing His business, that's not our business, you love them. And you continue faithfully to teach what God's Word has to say. And you love them. And you love them. And you love them through whatever change the Holy Spirit's wanting to make in their lives. Boy, I hope you hear me on that. So how can I fair-proof my marriage? Fifth, by learning how to cultivate and maintain proper relationships. Step number six, maximize your marriage. The best way to avoid sexual impurity is a good, healthy marriage. The old adage says, yeah, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And I counter that. You've heard me say this before. If you would just keep your own lawn watered and fertilized and weeded, none of us would go looking for greener pastures. The Apostle Paul said it pretty succinctly, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 3, a man should fulfill his duty As a husband, a woman should fulfill her duty as a wife and each should satisfy each other's needs. And that's the bottom line here. If we focus our time and energy on truly satisfying the needs of our spouse, we wouldn't have the time and the energy for an affair. So let me ask you, do you really know your spouse's needs? Are you investing the time and energy that's needed in making your own marriage the very best that it can possibly be? Are you consistently and honestly communicating your intimate needs to one another? Are you reading books and attending conferences and seeking Christian counsel on ways to improve your marriage relationship? So how can I affair-proof my marriage? Six, by discovering, understanding, and meeting my spouse's needs, thereby maximizing my marriage. Now, I need to add a brief addendum to this, these six steps. There are two things I feel must be said as a part of the study of this commandment, maintaining sexual purity. First of all, I, I want to say a word to the sexually pure, <laughs> if there are any among us. <laughs> Resist, that's the word. Resist. Because I'm sure right about now somebody in the audience is saying, oh, that would never happen to me. I would never commit adultery. In fact, last time I preached on this subject, somebody in this congregation came to me and said, I don't understand why you even talk about that. Look how old I am. This doesn't have anything to do with me. (laughs) And I looked at that. I won't say whether it was male or female. I looked at that person and I thought, you're not dead. (laughs) Hello? 
I want everybody to read 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 out loud with me. Let's read this together. So be careful if you are thinking, oh, I would never behave like that. Let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. Watch out! Don't become overconfident here. There's not a single one of us who is immune to the temptation of sexual impurity. And we must always beware. We must never let down our guard. We must resist. Enough said. Secondly, I want to say a word to the sexually impure. And that is repent. It's God's Word. Repent. If you're guilty of sexual impurity in any form at all today, you need to repent. You need to turn immediately from your sin and turn to God. From unrighteousness to righteousness. Now, I've outlined a pathway back to spiritual sexual purity in your notes here. Time doesn't allow me to elaborate on this. I'll trust that you'll dig into it deeper and look up the Scriptures on your own. But let me at least read through it, okay? Here's the pathway back to sexual purity. It begins by recognizing your sin. You just got to recognize your sin, whatever it is. Wherever you maybe have a hint, or more than a hint, of sexual impurity, recognize that. And then you need to repent of your sin before God, forsake that sin and turn to God. Confess it before Him. And then receive God's forgiveness. Let me just stop on that one for just a moment. Sometimes we have a harder time forgiving ourselves than God has forgiving us. Hear what I'm saying? God doesn't want you to live in guilt and shame. He'll forgive you and cleanse you, it says, from all unrighteousness. And then rejecting all contact with the other offender if there was somebody else involved removing all possible entrapments. Again, I do I have to go over that again? I mean, that means just getting rid of anything that would, would cause you to become entrapped or addicted. Uh, anything that will trip you up. Again, if you've got to cancel your internet, you've got to cancel your TV, I don't care what it is, you've got to do it. Then you've got to rely upon some Christian counsel. Reach out to a Christian counselor, your pastor, accountability partner, and then reconcile with family and friends. Whatever needs to be healed in those relationships. I, again, I can't say more about that. You can look those Scriptures up on your own. That brings us to a time of decision. Roman numeral 10, how God's people live. This morning we've taken a closer look at the seventh of these commandments. Maintaining sexual purity. Here in Exodus 20 and verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. That's your memory verse this week. <laughs> huh? That's an easy one. Huh? Let's say it out loud together. You shall not commit adultery. You got it memorized already. <laughs> And then look for some opportunities this week to discuss this commandment with other people. Talk about it with them. You'll be amazed especially what the world thinks about this. Huh? So what God says. Interesting conversations. And then look for a way to specifically apply it to your own individual life. What do you need to do? Which brings us to decision time. And here's the question. What's the main point of today's lesson? And how will it impact me personally this week.